Robert Bevan writes and publishes grown-up comedic novels inspired by the likes of Dungeons and & Dragons and Goosebumps. In this episode, you'll hear how today's guest got started with writing and how self-publishing has allowed him to make a career writing satire and parody on his own terms. As Robert says, the wonderful thing about self-publishing is the weird voices can be heard. To learn more, be sure to listen to today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to leave a review on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for a link to the Patreon offerings. I've got some good ones for you. Thanks so much for being a listener and supporter of the show. Enjoy today's interview. Robert Bevan, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. I, I first discovered you as a as a reader, actually. I write um, humorous science fiction and fantasy, and your books come up quite a bit. Um, for Now, this podcast is for aspiring and mid-career storytellers of all stripes, so um, for people who might not be familiar with who you are, what would you like to share about yourself? Uh, first, I'd like to ask a question. Yeah. Other aspiring writers uh, looking to enter the biz should ask when this sort of thing comes up. Mm. Uh, how exactly did you find my books? You said they popping up everywhere. Where is that? Well, I think at the time I was, you know, sometimes I, every once in a while I get a Kindle Unlimited subscription to check out what's going on in, in the market. And because when I write humorous books, it's kind of hard to find competition you know or other books that are actually humor first oh, and not, not just like with an element of humor so i'm sure that i found your books because they were at the top of the charts that i was looking at and it was pretty clear from the covers what they were <laughs> good i've uh, that's uh, one of those things where uh, i kind of broke the rules you know that yeah yeah and I, I love that i hope we we get into that so breaking the rules is a good good way to pique people's interest uh why do you say that and like what's oh, yeah people say you know you should uh your, your cover should be recognizable as the genre it's in mm. but i was thinking i i i have a different way for it to be recognizable it's not it's not going to be genre based it's gonna be more like there's a big ass 20 sided die on there mm-hmm. and that's everything you need to know so you write humorous or comedy fantasy novels is how you write about yourself on your bio and that's correct yeah and like why writing i guess is my first question 
Um, well, that's, I, um, after college, I moved to uh, South Korea to teach English. Hmm. I spent quite a while over there. I eventually married a Korean woman. I uh, worked my way up the ranks and got a job at a, at a, a university there. Hmm. And, uh, I had a, I had an office to myself and a, a lot of free time between classes, but not enough time to actually drive home and uh, hang out with my wife. Mm. So, I thought, like, so I was playing World of Warcraft and stuff, and I thought, yeah, there should be a more productive way I could use this time. Mm. And um, so I thought, I've always kind of wanted to give writing a try. And uh, so I spent three years writing this book, and uh, it was a pile of shit. <laughs> so, um, but but I was proud of myself because I I'd written a, a novel length work, and then uh, during the last chapter I had this uh, this idea for you know what if a, a group of you know losers got sucked into their D and D world because I was playing D and D at the time on on Fridays mm. uh, Friday nights with a group of other expats and. Uh, and yeah, we get drunk and, and have shenanigans and stuff. And then, um, but what if what if this sorry lot of losers actually did get thrown into the game world? How would we handle it? Mm. Uh, and this was my attempt at answering that question. I thought that that would be really funny. That could be a, a fun book. People might read that. And so, but I went ahead and banged out that last chapter of a book I never intended to publish just right. to, just to get to the end. And uh, yeah, no one, not well. A few people have seen that. So you managed to uh, you managed to avoid reaching for the shiny object, right? As you were finishing that, the first. What's the shiny object? Well, there's always a shiny object. I find when I'm writing. Oh right, right. I did. I did go ahead and finish that. But then uh, that took like three years, and then I, I banged out the first draft of Critical Failures in about six months. Mm. And then. Uh, and I sent it to uh, this, not, she wasn't my editor yet, per se, uh, just more like a, a woman I met online, and, and she and I swapped stories and critiqued each other. Mm. She told me, um, you don't know how to write third-person omniscient. <laughs> and uh, so I gave it some thought, and I thought, all right, she's right. And so I uh, rewrote it from the ground up. Mm. That took a little while. But that's more or less the version you see today. Hmm. How long did that rewrite take? I forgot. Not too terribly long. It's just all a matter of, uh, you know, changing a point of view. And uh, I went with a more of a, a George R. R. Martin style of a very limited third person hmm. uh, focused on one character per chapter. Mm. Um, that there was some tweaking to be done, you know, stuff like, well, all right, this character, I've chosen his point of view. He would not have had that observation. So some some stuff to, to change. But um, in the end, it, it wasn't too huge a hassle. Yeah. And did you know what you wanted to do with the book right away as far as, like, publishing went? No, I have no idea. I thought, you know, I'll send out some agents and stuff and uh 
and I did. I, I sent it out to maybe like 10 or 20 agents, and then I got a bunch of form rejection letters back. And then, but the one one agent wrote me like a personal rejection. Mm. Said, uh, "Have you considered giving self-publishing a try?" And I, I, it was always yeah. At that point, that was 2012. It was still like, ooh, that's like giving up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was that or nothing. So, but or I could have kept trying, uh, but I didn't. I, I, I self-published it, and uh, I'm happy I did. Yeah, I, uh, it's. I don't know. You know, we tend to have a little bit of a censorship culture. I'm, 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 I'm curious whether if you had kept querying, the idea would have found a home, or your voice would have changed from where yeah. it ended up. I wonder that too, and uh, I'm kind of glad things went the way, the way they did because it just yeah, the the wonderful thing about self publishing is that you know weird voices can be heard. Mm. Like you know a lot of a lot of shit I write, you know caverns and creatures or or otherwise, um, nobody's gonna want to. It's not just because they're being snobby. It's that there's a, a time and money investment that they need to be confident will pay off. And yeah. I cannot fault them for, well, I mean, most of the crap I haven't even submitted to them, but uh, I don't imagine they would be interested in. I can't mm. blame them for that. Like uh, shingles. <laughs> That's you. Say more. Say more about this. The shingles. Um, well, I'm part of a, a podcast called Authors and Dragons, where me and five other fantasy authors play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I, we, we were just chatting one day amongst ourselves, and uh, one of them, I think it was Drew Hayes, brought up the idea of just just shooting out there. Uh, do you think the the goosebumps model would work these days? Like, you know, just putting out a a short twenty thousand word story every month and uh, publishing like that. And I I said I, I took it a step further. I said, "Well, I've got this idea. Why don't we just straight up parody goosebumps? Mm. Mm -hmm. All just this series of horrible comedy books that are, uh, you know." Austin, uh, uh, just supposed to be horror stories, but they're really just excuses for us to be horrible. <laughs> right. So the first one I, I wrote, The Ghost of Hooker Alley. It's uh, oh, it's, it's bad and it's wonderful. I love it. Was there a title? Like, are you parroting titles as well? I'm not super up on my goosebumps. Um, no, really, there's... I mean, goosebumps titles are all over the shop anyway there you know it's you know as long as there's the horror of or terror on blah 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 so yeah. try to do that and i've got some other like the ghost of hooker alley that's not parodying any specific title yeah but the the covers are kind of in the same vibe as goosebumps though kind of yeah the, i forget what goosebumps covers look like but um we just fell in into this uh, this artist John Luther Davis, and he'd done some work for us before. And he'd done some fan art for my stuff, and then he did my Space Puppies cover. And we just went with him because we like his work. Hmm. 
So like, how did that come about? Like the, the podcast idea for authors? Um, that was, I think just another powwow with me and Drew. Um, I was Facebook friends with him and, uh, he said something about his, uh, his D and D game. And, and I just uh, I put a comment on his post and cause I was living in Korea and, uh, I guess I quit playing with the guys I used to play with at that point. And I said, ah, I'm just jealous. You got a D and D game going. And then yeah, we got to talk and this and that, I, there's things you can do online now. And I said, well, we could even record it. Yeah. And did you always think of it like just as like a fun little side project to do? Oh, I still kind of do. It's, uh, yeah. We've grown quite a bit, but still we're, we're not on the, on the upper echelons of uh, what do they call it? Real play podcasts. There's a, some kind of barrier you have to break and we haven't quite done that. We did, uh, we had our own convention though. We really? uh, went to Las Vegas last year. We had the first Authors and Dragons convention and uh, that was a lot of fun. And we were gonna do that again this year. We were, we were all set to go to Nashville, but then COVID happened. Yeah. So we had, we had an online convention this year and uh, we bumped Nashville to 2021. Yeah. Well, that's, that's super cool. So like, we're like people who are listening, who come to the convention, they find you like organically via just searching for things in the podcast or they find you via your work. Um, I think that's probably a mixture of both. I'd like to think we're bringing in some people that are just looking at podcasts and, and then those people will go on to read our work. But I, I think quite a lot of it is, you know, people familiar with one of us from our work and then hey, we're also doing a podcast. And it does make a lot of sense for you, right? Like you write about basically Dungeons and Dragons, you know, with your works, and then you're kind of doing the same thing in your podcast. Like, do you ever get tired of talking about or thinking about Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, not, not like tired, tired, but I do like, you know, I like to take a break from from writing the main series and go do other things. Like that's kind of how shingles came along mm. I really love writing shingles and uh it's a, it's a nice break when i need one yeah do you find that doing that like ideas for future like caverns and creatures stories come up oh no that's a totally separate beast yeah. so how do you keep that fresh then like what keeps you going back to writing in that series like or when do you think you'll kind of that will run its course if ever short answer i guess there's there's 20 sides on that die on the cover <laughs> you got to get to 20. well I, I figured 20 is a good place because you know a there's 20 sides on the die and b um that's typically like when i a, a character max out all my characters in the story have been going up about a level per book mm -hmm. so i, I want to take them through all their uh their powers and potential that's that's wise also my family needs to eat so that's that's keep fair looking this cow as long as i can <laughs> so is this a full-time job for you then and and yes yeah and when did like how did that like i imagine when you started writing you know you weren't necessarily thinking this was going to be the thing that would launch no, absolutely not i thought you know, if this makes me a, a a couple of bucks in beer money every month awesome then uh, it, it was a, a, a slow grind uh, around 
I think it was around book three that I actually started to think, well, this, this could turn into something. Mm. After book four, just, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to make some plans to uh, quit my job and, and mm. move on to Korea, back to the States. Back when I was writing the first book, I, mean, I, I didn't expect it to do anything. This was, it was 100% fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe my friends would enjoy it and I'll send it out, see if anyone's interested. You know, maybe something will happen, but uh, probably not. I'm not a, I'm not a writer. Yeah. Just some schlub. I still feel that way. Do you still? <laughs> and yet, and yet, right. You're, you're, you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, part of that's fine. I mean, it, it would be nice to, like have real literary talent, but it's also fun to like just like hold my middle fingers up high to the publishing world. <laughs> How much does that actually drive you? Kind of that the concept there, the, the dual flags of. of... <laughs> That's fun, but uh, I mean, what what really drives me is you know not having to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, oh God, I have zero marketable skills. <laughs> so was having a job really that bad? Um, no, that job wasn't too bad. It was, it was wearing on me though, because it's, I say university, but it was, it was a two year place. Kind of, it was not the, uh, not the Harvard or Princeton of South Korea. Mm. <laughs> it was, on the other end of the spectrum. The students didn't want to be there. Mm. I, I wasn't a great teacher. I, I would go as far as to say I wasn't even very good. Uh, I didn't have patience. I, uh, it, was, it was just wearing me thin, just the, the stress of the job. And I, and I didn't make a lot of money with it either. Mm. So uh, yeah, this thing, this writing thing really saved my bacon. So like, so this starts to shift from a, from a hobby to like maybe a viable business. Does, does your behavior shift with it as far as your, your writing goes and marketing and how you're spending your time? Um, kind of, I mean, like, it's weird though. It shifted in kind of the opposite direction it should. Hmm. You know, when I, when I was, when I was just doing it for fun, I was knocking out three or four thousand words a day, just woohoo yeah. in my office. Um, now I sit down and force myself to write at least a thousand words a day. It's still mm. fun, but it's also like a a requirement. Mm. So it's it's a little stressful when my family's depending on the money that comes from it. Right. One of the things I I think about when I'm doing my own writing or I definitely thought about <laughs> when it became an issue at work when I had a day job was like the content of what I'm writing and like, like, who am I going to offend? Is this going to make me more unemployable? Is it going to cause problems with my relationships? Right. Those kinds of things that come up with writing comedy. I'm so happy. I don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. Like, did you, did you ever think about it at any point or just because it was fun and you didn't expect to publish it? It didn't come up initially. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I never expected to get a wide reach, but like I said, I was employed in, in South Korea. All my bosses and everything were Korean. They weren't going to read this shit. Um, mm. Yeah, and uh, well, that's the end of that, I guess. Yeah, and then you started to sell it, and you started getting reviews and feedback. Like, what was that like? A little different than I expected. I was expecting more of a, I'll get a bunch of, five star reviews and i'll probably get a bunch of equal like an equal amount of one star reviews mm -hmm. from you know people who were upset by it but um now it's uh it's you know the highest amount of five star and then it tears down four star three star two star one star and uh that feels good yeah i got a, I got a one star review the other day for the first book guy wrote in his review that it was too expensive mind you this is 99 cents on, on uh, the Kindle. I guess uh -huh. he must have bought the paperback. But, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the paperback is what, like 15 bucks? That's that's normal book price. Uh-huh. Yeah, print on demand, that, that's how I do it through Amazon. Is, uh, that's not cheap. You know, you know. Anyways. Yeah. So the guy, you know, he said, oh, the story was good, blah, 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 but it's too expensive. I can't afford this. Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe after I retire, I can get book three. <laughs> it bothers me when, like, it's legit. Like, this one was stupid. Mm. That that makes me feel good, though, because people are looking at the at the bad reviews and it's, oh, this check guy's just a fucking moron. Then uh, that that gives more, uh, more weight to the good reviews, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. Your stuff reminds me a lot. I want to say of like stand up where you know that they take shots at people, right? They they punch up. There's that idea of punching up, yeah. Right? And there's a lot of exploration around like like when you represent somebody in a story, you know, are you punching up, punching down, you know, or are you going too far, are you crossing a line, right? Like, and every I imagine every new character you bring in gives an opportunity for there to be a line to play with right. yeah that's and one thing i do that I, i'm pretty happy with myself for having thought of was i've got a character called denise mm -hmm. she's just like this white trash shitbag <laughs> so i can say so many horrible things through her yeah that would be crossing a line well, that'd be crossing a bunch of lines if it wasn't this character saying them. That's <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah. Has anybody ever called you out on that? You're like, say, hey, you know, this author sucks because Denise says these awful things. You know, did no, not see really. People just accept that. You know, a lot of people say, like, oh man, I hope he kills off Denise. <laughs> No, I almost did in book four, but she is just so much fun to write. So you have, like, it seems like you, you write people in, maybe examples of people from life, you know, have influenced you. Well, I, up. I grew up in, uh, in Louisiana and Mississippi. Uh, so, yes, like everyone's Denise. Do you, have, do you let your fans interact with you and how, you know? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, do you handle that? I got a Facebook page, a Facebook group. I've, uh, I just started a, a, a Patreon recently, and, and uh, that includes access to my new Discord group. 
So there's quite a lot of inter interaction going on. Does that, like, do you find that it helps you and your business and your happiness to have that? Or are you doing it? Happiness, sure. Uh, business, maybe. I mean, it's, you know, when I've got a new release, it's nice to have a, a big group of people there to announce it to so they can all mm -hmm. go buy my shit at once and drive me up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Do you have a newsletter as well, or is it just a... I do. Yeah. Trying to learn how to use that better. It's I use it for the basics, you know, announcing something, announcing a, a new book or a new YouTube video I made or whatever. Mm. Still like, oh, here's here's Bob's newsletter again. He's just trying to shill more shit to me. It's not a not a real personal thing. Mm. That's what you feel about it as you do it. Yeah, and uh, it is what it is. I don't, I don't think anybody's expecting any more from me, but I don't know. Uh, there's probably better things I could do with it. Do you read other comedy and like try to work on your craft, or you think about? I wish like, I had more time to do that. I, but like you, you were saying before, it's tough to find comedy. Like yeah, in, especially in uh, you know science fiction and fantasy, and I've. I've looked and I've tried to read some, and um, it's there's I don't know I, I guess I got a very particular sense of humor. Yeah, like, yeah I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I tried to watch something last night with my wife because yeah. we're looking for a new show to watch on Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's called um, Teenage Bounty Hunters. Okay, you, yeah. And how was it? Uh, well, it's like. It's like you're baking a cake, and you, you've got all the ingredients, but I don't know, maybe you didn't put them in the right ratios or something, or or, or it was baked too long. Like, it felt like they were trying too hard. And, uh, mm. just there, I had a couple chuckles, and I, I, I recognized, like, ah, oh, this is kind of everything I want in a comedy, but it, it didn't land for me. Yeah. It was... I get An example of something like kind of similar, just in the in the same like silly comedy vein that I thought did work well. It's the the Santa Clarita Diet. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. Is that also on Netflix? That's yeah. That's uh, oh, please go watch that. Uh, that's uh, Timothy Oliphant and um, uh, what's her Drew Barrymore, and she's mm. a zombie. But it's. Uh, Oh, nice. It's just so goofy, and it's so much fun to watch Timothy Oliphant being goofy. That's, like, you know, if, if Netflix is trying to appeal to me, do more of that. Yeah. So comedy, like, it's it's a, there's there's a taste thing, right? Because we each have our own okay. exp lived experiences, and that's what makes things expected or unexpected to us and interesting. Right. And... I, I similar to you, you know, I'll read a lot, you know, when I do find comedies, it, it's definitely no sure thing that I will enjoy it, which, which, which I, which I find odd, I guess. And so we all refer to the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy as, as, as some beacon of light, I guess. Yeah. See, this is, this is the thing. Like Douglas Adams makes me laugh. Yeah. Terry Pratchett, I, not so much. I mean, a little bit, but uh, 
and I don't know, they're so similar that I, I don't know what the difference is. It's a, yeah. And yet there is, you're, you're right. It's very different voice. I had the same reaction. I was pretty late to reading Terry Pratchett. That you know, you know what? That might be it. I was, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> if I, maybe if I'd started Douglas Adams later, I wouldn't have liked him either. Well, yeah. Not that I don't like Pratchett. It just didn't didn't hit me the same way. Well, Pratchett stuff is like it's very high concept, right? Like he's going for something almost literary with his with his stories at least the ones i started reading you know and so there's this ridiculousness to it which you know if comedy is unexpected the you know doing something unexpected for the listener or the reader and everything is slapstick i guess yeah then what is unexpected at that point you blew my mind (laughs) you know but i think part of like the joy of finding a good comedy, right? Is somebody gets it that feeling, you know, like somebody yeah. else in this world gets it. Yeah. I had that reaction reading your first caverns and creatures book because I was like, wait, I've been, I've played in these groups. I know all these characters. Those are my favorite reviews. <laughs> but what was the inspiration for the character Mordred? Do you remember? Ah, generic nerd. He, he's he got that, like, um, what do you call it? Like, the rules lawyer. Right. You kind of vibe, but, like, yeah, high sense of purpose. And did you know Mordred? You know, yeah. you say he's a generic guy, but. Yeah, just, uh, look, uh, this is the character that I needed to propel the plot forward. Mm. Who's this going to be? It's going to be somebody. Like who, who's got this high opinion of himself? He's got these magic dice, which probably what like, gave him that high opinion of himself. Ah, I've got all this power. <laughs> mm-hmm. My rules. Well, we'll see about that. But I've totally I've I've seen this guy. You know, I'm not friends with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been to conventions. I've seen him too. <laughs> yeah, you know your books kind of tangentially you know link in with this game lit game lit and lit rpg movement that's been going on kind of i mean uh, and i don't know how much you pay attention to that or not or if it was ever your intention to be part of that niche i i I put out critical failures in 2012 that's kind of predating people started saying lit rpg and then uh and then when i heard about that i was excited because oh i actually do have a genre neat yeah I just, uh, I, I kind of try and distance myself from that now because I, I don't know. I've, I've tried to read a few of them, and I haven't enjoyed any that mm. been like I don't know. It's like all the same, and mm. and if it was like something I liked that was all the same, that'd be one thing. But I just found them boring, and then it, 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 you know, stat blocks everywhere, and ah, and then. I, I just find there to be a lot of douchiness in the in the lit RPG community. <laughs> Define douchiness. No. <laughs> I, most mostly, if we if we took this away from that community and said, like, are there things to not do as an author, or that doesn't help the author community? 
Yeah, see, I'm not talking about any specific thing. I just like yeah. just, uh, got an attitude or whatever. And, um, yeah, there are probably a lot of things to not do. And I've probably done most of them. <laughs> and do you do you get into like politics or current affairs in your books or you know or I mean moralizing at all or you know not not straight up politics, but uh, there's yeah, I mean the the characters are where they're from for a reason, and they are who they are for a reason. It's it's uh like the, the, there's a lot of myself in them. You know, I grew up in the in the deep deep south, mm-hmm. and I you know was raised with all these fucked up um, not beliefs but uh, just, just ways of life and uh, ideologies and and whatever. And then uh, yeah, eventually it helped that I moved to a different country for a while and I, I could scrub some of the shit off my eyes. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and similarly, these guys are thrown into a different world. There's a a lot of go, a lot of back and forth humor about uh, racism, like particularly with the with the drow, and I, I go, and especially with the character Catherine. She's still like in, in book eight and book nine. She's still trying to come to terms with that the drow are not simply elves with black skin. Like she can't paint her face and pass herself off as one. And, See, yeah. See, you are getting you're you're getting into it like yeah, pretty deep. It's, it's like maybe almost going to war with your childhood. Yeah. Well, it's just that it's 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 fun to bring these issues into a fantasy world and you know explore them in a different way. Racism works different there. You know, there's there are there are characters of that are different color skin. Mm. They don't. They don't. They don't give a shit. But you know, maybe a, a dwarf and an orc, or you know, it doesn't matter what color the skin is. They, they don't like each other because of that. Hmm. Different kinds of racism. Fun things to play with. Do your does your family you know read the books as far as not necessarily your wife, but my dad read the first one. <laughs> yeah, that was enough for him. <laughs> Did he say anything about it? Not much. <laughs> it's the sort of thing like uh, I'm pretty sure he doesn't approve, but it's making me money and uh, mm. yeah, I'm not having to live in his house. So Yeah, well, that's kind of the American dream for, yeah. for a father. You know, I've got two kids, right? Like, you know, I don't have to agree with what you do as long as you're making money. Right. Oh. Still trying to get that meth lab up and running. <laughs> well, it worked for Breaking Bad. Yeah. Know. And are you addressing, you know, current events at all, the year 2020? Like, um, are you trying to escape from 2020? Or are you, like, no, integrating I, it into the your... The thing is, I would, except that, like, my characters went into this other world you know, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I gotta kind of stick with the timeline. So around 2012, let's say. Okay. Yeah. They don't know anything what's going on nowadays. So as tempting as that might be, I, I let it alone. And I, uh... so you, you still, you know, you're still showing up to the keyboard and it's got this vibe of being work and maybe the words don't always flow as well. 
He's still having fun. Always float. Yeah. No, no. Occasionally they do float well, but today I had a good flowing day. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm really happy that they've. Uh, I mean, the readers seem to enjoy the latest books, you know, more than the earlier ones. They hmm. like I, I'm attempting to maintain the. It's not. Yeah, it's not like Jaws 2. Mm-hmm. You know? I, uh, I'm trying to continue to write compelling stories that uh, keep the readers engaged. Yeah. And do you, do you keep reaching like and, a and, wider and, audience each time that you put a book out? It's, it seems to have plateaued a bit in the past couple of years, but uh, I'm working on it. Yeah. The, uh, one thing I wanted to mention about that, too, is it's not Jaws 2. It's that... Uh, this, yeah, you know, the story isn't completed yet. It's not like I wrote, you know, a full overarching arc and then like, ah, and the rest of it's a cash grab. Mm. I do have an end for the series in mind, and we're not there yet. Uh, okay, that is a that is a good call out because you know a lot of times you know you'll authors will write three books and then see if it's going to sell and then decide whether or not to keep going. Well, yeah, I was fortunate enough to uh, not have any expectations at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're like, you're having fun, I guess, with what you're doing and. Oh, absolutely. um, Yeah. So for people and for people who like want to make a living, like writing, stories that they want to tell right like is, isn't there any parting advice you'd give them uh yeah i mean you gotta put your ass in the chair and, and do it but uh i mean i guess i don't know I, I, it depends on what you want how much you want you're gonna need if you're just starting out then you're gonna need to uh work on all your shit you got you're gonna because you're gonna write a bunch of shit. You're gonna write some stuff that's not very good. Hmm. That'll never sell. So you gotta get that all out of your system. Learn what you're doing. Um, fix all that, and uh, then start writing your good stuff. And, and it is, you know, the, the old saying goes, "It's a marathon, not a sprint." Um, you just gotta bang out a few words every. It's it's hard because uh, especially like if, if you're if you're just starting out, you, but even even now with me, I'm, I'm confident I'm going to sell a bunch of copies of Critical Failures Nine when it comes out. Mm-hmm. I'm fan base who are going to purchase it. But even still, like I know the work I do today, I'm not getting paid for. I'm not going to get paid for it for a long time until I, I reach whatever 180,000 words or whatever it is. The thousand words I'm writing today is, is not giving me any immediate reward. And when you're just starting out, if you were hoping to make money from this, there's no guarantee that what you're writing today will give you anything ever. Right. And that's that's tough. Do it because you love it. Do it because you love it and show up. And, you know, notably, you had a critique partner to work on your craft with at the beginning that's that's a good thing to get to especially oh you gotta you have to get one 
that knows what she's he or she is talking about mm. and one that uh understands your vision mm. those are two extremely important things yeah because I, I i went through a few critique partners before i uh, i met her and we clicked and one guy he read the first draft of critical failures and he was like yeah all right well this is interesting but like i feel like by the end they should be super powerful and be like fighting dragons and stuff man you just don't get it yeah this is about a bunch of losers and yeah they're not in a much better place by the end of the book that's this is my vision yeah i'm glad you mentioned that all right there's kind of the two types of critiques there's like the one that tries to change what your work is right versus how how can you make this more clear maybe more or someone but like, like i said joan like, i don't know i got lucky with her i don't know how many people would, would have picked up on that you, know, you don't know how to write third person omniscient yeah that's that's a very specific piece of advice that was absolutely correct and made all the difference yeah yeah that's great well for people who want to learn more about you how can they do that um like i said i got a facebook page where you can just see an endless stream of memes <laughs> facebook.com slash robert bevan books uh, i've got i got the my website caverns and creatures.com that's caverns dash and dash creatures.com mm -hmm. and there's a patreon out there if you cool. want to or you uh know what i'm all about yeah and, and does the website then have links to everything as far as the patreon yes. and all that um, it will probably by the time this airs i forgot to do that great well you've got about seven weeks <laughs> oh then yes it does yeah perfect yes we're going in the time machine all right. it's already happened it's there go come back with me <laughs> my doc brown impression well, Bob Bevan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. That's been great to be here. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.